Fellas, say goodbye to Chuck Sherman the boy. I am now a man. I highly recommend you join the club. We are doing the wild thing all night. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Sherman. Sherman, I could build this food. Is that all you gonna eat? General Sherman realized and understood the importance of house music. So, do you know anything about techno? No. Listen. Yeah, you know. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another brand new episode of Sherm in the Booth. I'm, of course, your host, Sherm. Today is Wednesday, September 23rd, 2020. This is episode 128-128. I am so excited about this one, guys, for a multitude of reasons. Not only is he one of my personal favorite producers and one of the biggest in Chicago, this guy is known on a worldwide level and someone who's really, really earned his stripes over the past decade. Episode 128 features the man, Tombs. And this was a great one, guys. We got the full story of where he came from, where he's at now, and his plans for the future. We discussed his early inspirations for loving music and what it was like growing up in the Midwest. Now, he actually started in a punk and metal band, and they were really, really successful touring around. But at about age 25, he had to shift gears and became an electronic music producer, hence the birth of Tombs. Now, it's been quite the musical journey in electronic music arena for Tombs. In 2012, they released their first EP. The genre was called Witch House, and if you go back and listen to it, you will find out right away. It's actually pretty crazy. Fast forward to the past eight years, guys, and he has released on some of the biggest labels in the game, including Night Bass and Country Club Disco. Now, like I said earlier, Tombs has really earned his stripes in the scene as a DJ and a producer and has collabed with some of the biggest artists in the game and also some notable Chicago artists like Birthday Party and John Summit. But now looking forward, he has a good vision of what he wants for the music and it's really, really important to him and we had a great conversation on this. He doesn't want it to be this or that. He wants it to be Tombs and I think that's so cool that you gotta stay in your lane and you gotta stay true to the music you love to make, man. One of the best parts of this entire interview, guys, was going deep in the discussion on mental health in the electronic music industry. Over the past couple years, it's really, really been brought to a higher level where people are talking about it and sharing about it. And the one thing that still is tough is on social media, which is such an integral part of having a successful brand and career in the music industry, is that there are people who project and don't share. And we really, really want more people sharing how they're feeling right now with coronavirus putting everybody on the bench. This is a time where we need to all be helping each other out and not competing against one another. So that was a really, really powerful conversation. And thank you for sharing on that note, Tombs. But again, guys, this guy is without a doubt one of the most successful Chicago producers. And I'm such a huge fan of his sound. And I'm so excited to see what he does for the rest of this year and into 2021. But enough of me talking, guys. Let's hear it from the man himself. This is episode 128 with Tombs. All right, Tombs, my man. Thank you for taking the time. I'm excited to be here right now. You've come up on the show. You're one of those guys that uh, I kind of been waiting to ask, actually, because honestly, in my eyes, man, you've had so much success and it means a lot for you to come on and take the time. But you've come up, birthday party, Ose, so many of the Chicago producers that uh, have looked up to you, whether it be Musical Influence, some of the AO guys, uh, Fuenino. Um, and when I told some of my friends I'm interviewing Tombs, my little brother actually is a huge Night Bass fan. We saw you at Park West earlier this year, and I told oh, him, yeah. Tombs tonight, and he goes, you fucking kidding me, man? And I was like... <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, ton of respect for you, man. 
Um, thank you for coming on the show. I'm really excited. Of course. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. And yeah, shout out to Birthday Party and Ose and Ayo and all yep. the Chicago guys, Gerard. Um, yep. This is uh, musically absolutely one of the best cities there is. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I want to ask you first and foremost, what is where does the name Tombs come from? I did my research in the past. I know it's been around for a while. What is the story there? Um, so the easiest way to explain it is, uh, you know, this has been a project since like 2012. Uh-huh. maybe even 2011 yeah. um when it first started it uh you know the up until two years ago or so i had a partner named tom um okay he, he stepped out uh on uh mutual reasons he's doing his own thing so we're all good but um yeah we started it together in 2012 we were making vastly different music um yeah the style was kind of like it's called like witch house which is kind of like a combination of like really weird hip-hop and like uh industrial and just generally like creepy weird ass music and uh so when we were coming up with names all the way back in 2012 we literally like there's a guy honestly we kind of ripped someone off we there's a guy named rituals and he spells it with a z and so i was like okay well the word tombs is really cool let's just do tombs with a z uh and it just it stuck after we kind of got into doing the dance music thing when we transitioned uh we thought about changing it several times but it was just more of a hassle than it was worth and the music's yeah. always kind of had like a dark edge to it, so I've just kind of tried to make it fit. Definitely. So you were you were producing this type of music, or back in the day before you even came up with the name. So the name stemmed from the style of music, then. Yeah, it literally stemmed from just trying to come up with a, a you know a dark and creepy name that would look catchy if we ever had it on flyer or something like that. Yeah, no, it, it's great, man. And the way you design your logo too and everything, I, I think it's awesome. It's all encompassing of your brand. Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah, I just recently redid that this last year. I had uh, my friend CLB, also from Chicago. Uh, yeah. He finally helped me you know, re-envision it. We kind of went for like an old-school comic book look. So we got a bunch of the horror movie elements and stuff added in there that I was excited about. Is CLB, he's a graphic designer as well as a producer, DJ. you got to have it all these days, right? Yeah, apparently. Uh, he's really good at all, all of them. So, yeah, I love his graphic design. He was uh, What he was doing for my stuff was a little outside of his normal wheelhouse. So it was fun for both of us to work on it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, so I was reading today uh, your whole history. That's why I got into the beginning of Tombs. You came from Milwaukee, right? Is that where you were born and raised? No. So, uh, I mean, I don't need to give my whole history, I guess. But, yeah, I was born in Long Beach, uh, California. Um, grew up in, like, Rockford, Illinois uh, after I'd moved when I was a kid. And then um, when I graduated high school, I moved to Milwaukee. I lived up there for about 10 years after high school. Um I moved up there because just playing in bands and things with people who lived up there. And honestly, where I grew up kind of sucked ass. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, lived in Milwaukee for 10 years. And then I moved down to Chicago, like I said, I mean, almost three years ago now. Wow, that's awesome. Do you still have all your family up in Wisconsin then? Um, they're all still in Rockford. Um, but oh, okay. uh, when I was in Wisconsin, yeah, yeah. When I was in Milwaukee, it was, uh, it was just because of mu- music related things for the most part. And, yeah. Uh, you know, at a certain point after high school, all of my friends lived there, so it made sense for me to, to you know, to live there as well. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I started Tombs when I was in Milwaukee after I'd been there for a couple of years. Nice, man. Well, you mentioned you were involved in punk rock when you were growing up. When did that first come into your life for music in general? Oh, man. I mean, I was hopping around in really garbagey bands uh, <laughs> all through middle school. Um, I luckily had a bunch of, uh, a bunch of friends who were you know, into punk rock and uh playing guitar and drums and things like that when we were super young so uh yeah i started playing in bands 
in middle school in high school i was in a uh, metal band for most of high school that did decently well we would like travel and play shows in like wisconsin and indiana and stuff nice uh, um yeah i got into like hardcore and punk rock music um when i moved to milwaukee and uh yeah i was playing in bands from the age of you know like 18 up until 25 wow and uh yeah, one of them luckily kind of caught on. Um, I was in a band called Focused Minds for, uh, I had to have been at least six or seven years. Um, but uh, yeah, we we were like a Milwaukee hardcore band and we uh, got really lucky and signed. And, you know, as far as hardcore music goes, the record label wasn't like making us money or anything, but was enough to get us touring. So I spent a good five or six years, you know, traveling the country most of the year. is like playing, you know, basement shows and vfw hall type shows and things like that yeah um yeah i did that up until i was like 25 and i kind of had to stop because it was just yeah there's really you know no money in there unless you really somehow luck out and uh you know doing it for so long turning 25 i kind of got to the point where i was like man i gotta figure out some other shit and luckily dance music was a really nice way to transition out of that because it gave me something that was like less angry and more fun (laughs) (laughs) man i know and and that reminds me actually of uh let's say and steve gerard you know people come from so much history of of metal and rock and punk and then make this what i would say an unorthodoxly smooth transition into electronic music production yeah i mean and ultimately you know it made a little more it was it was a little more uh relatable back when i was like doing like heavy trap and things like that because the music was so much more aggressive but like coming from playing punk rock shows where like you know you're having a good show if everybody's beating the shit out of each other uh that same feeling you know that same feeling translates when you're playing dubstep and trap and you have everybody like headbanging and and going off and you know even when i transitioned into doing house music uh being able to control the vibe of the people in front of you is what the whole thing's all about and um, all, I swear all of the best DJs I know and all the best music makers I know come from a background of playing other music because they already have that ingrained in their brains how to like work a crowd before they're even, you know, putting out dance music at all. I love that. That live visceral aspect is so important and it, it translates mm-hmm. to the studio in ways that's hard for people to understand that haven't done it before. So I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, fun story too. Um, I know Osei because of punk rock. Me and uh, me and that dude ran into each other at Spring Awakening like five, six years ago, and we recognized each other's T-shirts and got to talking. Uh, turns out he, he'd like seen my band play a number of times. What? Um, yeah, and then we like lost touch, and I ran into him when I played LA for the night bass party I did in LA because uh, he was out there going to Icon. Um, then we lost touch again and ran into each other at I think Spring Awakening, and we finally traded numbers and like stayed in touch with each other. But yeah, it's we literally became homies just because of our punk rock shirts we were wearing at a festival. Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> no surprises there. Well, when you were when you were growing up in Wisconsin and um, you know in those years, like electronic music, that must have been mid two thousands, and then getting into the early two thousands, really the boom of dance music. Right? Were you listening mm. to that? like how did that transition happen for you from being in a punk rock band to being a part of that time where electronic music was growing so rapidly and then deciding you know what i want to actually produce this music i need to get ableton so on and so forth yeah so i mean i'll try to keep this as as like short as possible i guess because it could go on for a while but like sure uh i mean i was always listening 
listening to dance music on and off throughout like my childhood um whenever i'd hear something dancey uh, it would catch my ear i remember like my my parents had like the jock jam cds or whatever we'd listen to so i always thought stuff like you know banga boys and shit like that was like really hype <laughs> yeah uh, and then like when eiffel 65 came out i thought that was really cool yeah. um daft punk things like that uh but you know, as I got older, that was always something I kind of kept to myself because nobody in my in my punk rock circles really was into that sort of stuff. Right. Um, but I was, you know, I, I was always interested in it. And then uh, when I finally kind of stopped doing the live music thing and actually started transitioning into uh, DJing and all that stuff, um, you know, the attitude carried over and the work ethic carried over, which is something I really like enjoyed. So, you know, we were coming up in Milwaukee. Um, Milwaukee's dance music scene now, like for for the size of the city, um, it's you know it's it's pretty impressive for how small the city is. Um, both in in the heavy in the heavy bass scene is huge there, uh, and the house music scene has also gotten pretty decent up there too. Um, but when we were coming up, it was extremely clicky because there's only a handful of people that were actually making music, and the venues are you know pretty much limited to two different spots. That's the only things the city has. So we. Uh, took it upon ourselves since we couldn't land shows we just started throwing our own and we literally would like like punk rock musicians would go to this crappy dive bar in the middle of my like low income like art art student neighborhood <laughs> and uh we set up a pull out you know a picnic table and put a controller on it and we would just play heavy trap music for four hours to whoever showed up and uh luckily a bunch of our friends were super hyped on it and there was a bunch of our punk rock friends they just thought it was fun to listen to heavy loud music in a in right. a bar right um but yeah we would like throw diy parties all the time to the point where they finally started booking us at the clubs because we were making so much noise playing these like garbage parties uh <laughs> yeah it was cool it's from the there we like we got involved in the Milwaukee club scene. We started playing like some of the bigger shows up there, like the Miramar Theater. Um, we had we had a residency at Site One A for several years. Um, yeah, it was really cool to see that city grow and like to be part of. I don't know how much influence we necessarily had, but I'd like to think, you know, between our friend groups, we'd carried around with us throughout every stage of that. You know, we always had people showing up, and we always had friends at every show. So That's that awesome. you know, the punk rock side of me does really care how much influence we had we had our friends and we had a good time so it was i yeah, think it was worth it that's cool i mean it sounds like you were pretty integral at least for that type of music i mean i i moved to chicago uh six years ago now and um milwaukee even then was people i remember a lot of milwaukee djs would come down to chicago for gigs and i'd meet them at pre-games or at the club or wherever else and then two or three years go by and then I know Chicago DJs that are going up to Milwaukee to play at places like Site 1A. And you guys are doing awesome bookings up there. I mean, it's a mini Chicago. You guys can do boat party, mm -hmm. like Michigan there, too. There's a great college scene there. And there's so many fun people. And the culture about Wisconsin and Milwaukee is so much different than 90 miles south of Chicago. And that's what makes it so special to me. Oh, big time. And it's fun that you point that out, too. I, I definitely remember always trying to come. I'm down here, like being from Milwaukee, like yeah. if you could get down to Chicago to play a porn and chicken party, that was like one of the big steps in your career. Like if you could, if you could get down to the Chicago to play at the mid, that was like next level for your career. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'd be down at the mid hanging out in the green room with some people and everybody's talking about how they're trying to get up to site 1A. And I'm like, I'm flattered, of course. I'm glad you guys like it in Wisconsin, yeah. but like you're in Chicago, you're fine. <laughs> 
That's awesome. Oh, yeah. It was definitely interesting to see that transition and, like, to be along the ride for both sides of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got a lot of love and respect for it. I've met a lot of DJs from up there, and um, it's really cool that our two cities have kind of become, like, incestual in a sense where we're willing to help you for a gig up here, and it's a lot of uh, back and forth, which is so cool because we're close, and it's two awesome cities that really are working together, and you don't see that too much in other cities in the U.S. just because of geographical location, the actual scenes there, and there's so many different types of people and music in both cities, so I love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely it's definitely a cool, a very cool thing, and you know, I would imagine relatively unique compared to the rest of the country because, like you said, I can't think of too many cities that are that close to each other and have active dance music scenes. No, absolutely not, man. I, I grew up in Indianapolis, and there ain't shit there. There still ain't shit there. There's a little bit. It's growing here and there, but nothing like like people from Indianapolis. It's so far, ex- exactly. It's so far removed from everything that even if it pops off, it's it's going to be super insulated. Yes, exactly. It's funny how that works in the U.S. But so you were you said you were 25, you were in the punk band and then you said I need to make a change. Was that change for you mentally like I want to do electronic music or you just wanted something new, a new challenge? Um, I mean, honestly, it was it was a little bit of like growing up kind of smacking me in the face and making me realize that traveling the country six months out of the year you know, working super minimum wage just because I could take time off and like sleeping on floors all the time. Yeah. Like, even though even though it was super fun in my early twenties and it taught me a lot about life that a lot of people don't really ever get to experience. Yeah. Um, I just was like getting to the point where I couldn't keep stressing out coming home from tour, not knowing how I was going to pay bills, and uh, yeah. so it was sort of a, a mental health related thing. But also, I'd been wanting to learn how to produce um, for a long time. Me and my old partner Tom. You know, we were making dance music together before the before the bands stopped. Um, and it was one of these things where when when I'd be back in town from being on the road, that's when we would get together and make music. But I just didn't have time to learn how to produce because I was so caught up in, in uh, you know, writing other stuff. So it was kind of like we would work together, I'd share ideas, and then we'd DJ together. Um, you know, but as soon as I put a, a hold on traveling and playing playing in bands that was when i could finally like get ableton on my computer and buckle down and learn how to produce so yeah. um it was de- it was you know it was cool it was like a bummer in a way to put an end to an era or something like that but it definitely allowed me to have time to explore uh, a form of music i'd wanted to do since i was a kid and i just never had you know the means to do it and i never had the program on my computer to do so yeah i mean when one door closes another one opens man and that's how you got to look at those types of situations it's it's hard in that point in life too mid twenties, right? I'm, I'm 28 right now. And letting go of certain things when you're like, I put so much effort into this. It's tough. Mm-hmm. You just have to take what you've learned and apply it to the next chapter and then keep building and building and building. Absolutely. And it was like, you know, it's kind of a, you know, everybody says dance music's like a lifesaver. And I, I'm sure for a lot of people it is in certain ways and in very different ways. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, for me, I definitely think it was because I, uh, I'm so used to dedicating so much of my time and energy towards something music related that, uh, when I stopped traveling the country playing music for six months out of the year, I, uh, I, I very much had like a gap there where I just didn't know what to do with myself. Yeah. And if I, if I didn't have learning, you know, production and in making dance music as something to fill that gap, like I, I would have fucking went crazy or something. <laughs> yeah, man. I, that, that is the interesting thing about it too. So how did, how did you actually like, I mean, what did you, it, this is, 
a question. I can't even think of the question because I have so many questions within one question. Because when I listen to your music, when I listen to Tombs EP in 2012, definitely Witch House, did you call it? That's, that's, exactly that's the one, yeah. So that's considered Witch House. And to be completely, yeah. uh, you know, I am by no means bragging, but apparently that EP is done very well as far as that genre goes. Because that genre is about as weirdo and obscure as you could try to find. Dude, uh, I, but like, it's funny because our top play tracks on Spotify is that ep granted it's been around for like 10 years but uh it's just funny that it's gotten so much attention in comparison to some of our stuff that's on big you know house music labels yeah of course i i had never heard that before because i was like i'm gonna go back in the archives and see what i can learn here and i listened to it and i was like damn like i kind of felt some some justice vibes a little bit here. oh very much so yeah 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 we we always took a lot of influence and you can hear it not so much in our more recent stuff because uh a lot of the influence came from my old partner, um, but we were definitely heavily influenced by like, uh, like you know, old old. Uh, what's the term I'm trying to think of here? I know you said justice. I I can't think of the oh, electro type stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we were super into when we were making even when we were when we were making creepy shit. We were super into boys' noise, uh, old Nero. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't even think of the artist you just said. Justice. Yep. So yeah, even though it was very far away from what we were making, we were definitely like heavily influenced by it. And even up into some of our house music, uh, some of our house music tracks from four, four or five years ago definitely have some electro vibes in them for sure. For sure. I mean, even like uh, some left field knife party, like a dark, dark version of that. Like I, I liked it, and it's interesting that it was called that because I was like, I don't know what this is because. I couldn't sense a BPM, you know what I mean? That's kind of like how my mind works as a DJ and just as a house producer. And I was like, this is challenging me and I'm really listening to it in a different element than I usually do because I don't know what it is. So that's a really cool starting point for you. That's rad. Well, that's, I'm glad that you took that from it because like, honestly, for a minute, when we started really taking the project seriously and we clearly transitioned into dance music, we, uh, we were like, we were like somewhat interested in trying to get that ep taken off spotify just because it's it, it has so many plays that that's like the first thing some people will see if they try to find our, our my music right. um and uh but you know it was released through a record label that's no longer around so we i literally have no idea how i would get it removed from spotify <laughs> but i'm glad that some people find it and like uh you know resonate with it but right. it is funny sometimes when they pop up in the wrong places like spring awakening last year was putting up songs for all the artists on like their app uh -huh. And one of the songs they put was like our night bass song, and then the other song they put was from 2012. And I had to like, I had to like contact Spring Awakening and be like, "Hey, could you change that? Because if somebody hears this 2012 track, they're probably not going to come to our set." <laughs> that is so funny. I mean, listen, you're going to be, you're probably, I've interviewed over 100 people, and and one th funny thing about that is there are a lot of people who. They feel like the brand changes over time, the music changes over time, but I think it's even more important in someone who I think you probably draw influence from is Jaws. And he's someone who talks a lot about leaving your discography up. Like if you go to his SoundCloud, he's one of the guys that has left every single track up. And if you go to some of his first ones, it's like, you're like, oh, this is like beginner Jaws or whatever it might be, right? And it's just oh, so- Oh, for sure. Yeah, how your story, how your music tastes, you know, with it and without your partner to where you're at now, I think that's the coolest part of the journey for me. And to see you do that is like, I'm like, okay, he's working up from that. This is where he started. It's important to have that aspect for your real fans out there. 
Definitely. And I'm glad that you resonate with that because it's something that I do too. And, uh, you know, I would, I, I won't lie. I think there's been one or two times where like when we were taking things really seriously, um, we might've done a little bit of cleanup, like maybe took out some of our like trap songs that just were like, like objectively not good. Um, <laughs> not, not even like stylistically, just actually poorly made songs. Like we might've cleaned up some tracks here and there, but, um, I ultimately made the decision to like leave everything up uh, that was at least worth you know listening to because I always enjoyed doing that too. I remember when I was really into trap music yeah. and I, I'd go to like Uzi's page and I would just go all the way back and I'd start on Trap Shit Volume yep. One and I would just listen all the way up to his most recent stuff. And yep. for an artist like that who's you know you're really not making that complicated music, it's trap beats. But it was cool to see his progression, so I like to go do the same thing with my work. I you know I don't always revisit those old songs or play them, but. Song that you know somebody was super into because I've seen artists do that and it really bums out that one fan and you know I don't really give a shit if my image isn't the most tidy and up to date and clean because I'd rather that the fans who are into that stuff have something to go find. Yep, your music speaks for your brand, man. Um, so I, I want to run through it here, right? So 2012 Tombs EP comes out, right? 2015 mm -hmm. Senior releasing music again. It's this bass house trap vibes. Truth with Technicolor and Jangala. I was oh, like, man. I was like, yeah, oh. that was a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were super into like, we were slowly making the transition into house back then. Uh -huh. But uh, I remember I had I developed this um, obsession with Jungle Terror from getting super into like yeah. WeWack and, and WeWack. It was Valentino Khan and shit. And so some of those tracks were us like doing this really weird combo of whatever trappy house we were doing mixed with like, me just essentially trying to make WeWeck music. <laughs> but it was your spin on it. Yeah, absolutely. We kept it like, you know, weird and kind of dark and gritty. And uh, I definitely think some of that definitely translated into the, you know, some of the house music we made, especially when it was more bass house oriented. Of course, of course. And 2017 comes around. That was kind of the era when Drezzo and people like that were starting to blow up, right? We got some G House vibes, rituals with Metacentric and Bomba. So I'm listening. Yep. To That's the one I was referencing where like we got hella electro on that one. It was like, yes, we were, we were super into the whole Brazilian bass thing. And then we just put some like electro stabs over it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a fun one. I totally forgot about that song. Hey, man, I do my research. Um, and then, of course, 2018 through today, really where things picked up, where you guys kind of developed this sound and still evolving. Right. I mean, of course, Night Bass EP, the sick EP, big moment for you guys. I mean, it's Night Bass, man. Um, I know you guys know that, and everybody who knows Night Bass knows the significance of that label, and we'll talk about that more. Country Club Disco, Space and Time, another Night Bass EP. Shout out to Birthday Party, the feature on Public Enemy, Exterminate, one of my favorite tunes tracks. Um, not to mention Hood Politics on Fire. I just had DJ Susan on, man. That's the person I forgot. I think we mentioned you, too. Dude, I fucking love that guy. <laughs> he is the most insanely high-energy guy I've ever met, and I love it. Dude, okay, so we met at Spy Bar, right? Uh -huh. uh, and he was doing, like, a hood politics takeover. And we met, like, very briefly uh, through John Summit. Um, uh, we would met super briefly, like, out in the audience, and then we kind of, like, broke off. And I was, like, coming out of the bathroom, and I was, uh, I was waiting to wash my hands. And this dude is sitting here talking to the bathroom guy about, <laughs> I think he was 
saying something along the lines of like, yo, I don't have any cash, but I really wish I could tip you because I really respect what you're doing. And if anybody in here deserves to be having a good time, it's you, you man. You fucking deserve the world. You're uh, give me a hug, man. And I'm like, who is this fucking sweetheart who's just jazzing <laughs> up the bathroom guy? And it turns around and it's fucking him. Yep. And the rest of the night, me and him just got hammered and we're like giving each other hugs all night, talking about how much we loved each other. We literally just met that dude. He's wild. I, I love him. My most favorite interviews. And, and I was a big fan of him already. And I was like, after I was like, I think I, I think I love this guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like we haven't really talked since he was in Chicago, but every once in a while, he'll just like comment on one of my pictures and be like, love you, King. And I'm like, thanks, man. That made my day. <laughs> you feel it. You feel it. But uh, on fire, huge track for you. I mean, not to mention three, six and another country club disco that's released, man. Um, again, I want to acknowledge you on that as a hot, I mean, quite the journey, right? And it's clear you get, you've grown as a producer, um, again, with, with and without your partner, and you've maintained a lot of the same roots as you progress as an artist. Where were you at mentally as you were kind of going through this into where you're at now? Um, and how do you still channel that inner tombs and, and challenge yourself creatively now, sort of with that expectation of high quality? When you release on high, high quality labels, you need to continue putting out high quality music. For sure. Um, I mean... Without going too far back, I guess the easiest way to answer would be like, uh, as long as what we're making is what we want to be making, it's always worked. And, um, you know, back when we were, I'm only really going to go as far back as like the trap stuff, because essentially we stopped making creepy music and started making dance music because the, the creepy stuff just, it, it became something that we were forcing and we had friends that wanted us to DJ their parties and you know, if we were going to DJ parties, we wanted to make our own music. We didn't want to just be like the the witch house guys who were also DJing trap music. Didn't really make any sense. So, um, you know, when when trap got to the point where like we weren't really having fun with it, uh, you know, it was kind of the same thing with like me getting out of punk rock. Like, I loved it. And I loved all the time I spent with it, but I just wasn't that angry of a person anymore. Yeah. Uh, transitioning into heavy trap and dubstep made a lot of sense for a couple of years, but after a certain point, I didn't want to be like. I wanted people to just come and have fun. I didn't want it to be based around headbanging or how hard our set could go. Um, that's where I developed a really big love for house music, which I'd, I've been into the whole time, but we never tried DJing and making it. And uh, we really resonated with that quite a bit. Um, and then from there, you know, we just, we kept trying to stick to that ideology that as long as, um, as long as we were having fun doing it and it felt good to play than that we were doing the right thing so like when we got that first night bass ep um we were still sort of figuring out our sound the songs on there are a little varied in how they sound but as soon as we landed that we knew like okay let's take this shit seriously and like really try to figure out what we want to sound like and i think over the next couple of years we kind of found this sweet spot where we didn't want to be known as the bass house guys either we wanted to be known as the people who the dudes who made house music that sounded like tunes um and and as far as I'm concerned, and as far as some of our friends have told me, we've kind of become the bass house guys who now make tech house, but it still has all the gritty, dark shit that we had before. Uh, I, that's kind of that's always been the vibe that I've liked. I want to make stuff that like keeps you interested, has a definite atmosphere to it, but it's still I don't know hits hard enough that makes you want to move around and like and you know play DJ sets that feel more like a journey than than just like a bunch of tracks flowing together. So yeah. uh, anytime that that's felt forced, I'll take a step back and I'll start reevaluating. And uh, you know, me and my partner got really good at hashing that out. 
And, you know, now that he's stepped out and it's become a solo operation, it's, it's even easier to kind of figure out you know, exactly how I want things to sound and how I don't want them to. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just really been a progression of making sure that what I'm doing is as genuine as it can be. Because I, uh, you know, I totally understand some people who want to try to fit the mold of what their genre is or have like concerns over their style. Um, but, you know, uh, I've just, I'm old compared to some of these dudes. And uh, I don't particularly have the time to sit and cater to other people, nor does, uh, nor does the little punk rock guy in my brain care to do that either. It's always been, you know, if it makes me feel good and it makes me happy, then I'll keep doing it. Yeah, and, and I think that's a perfect description of where you're at now with the music and how I listen to it because, you know, when you think about Night Base, right, you think of Chris Lorenzo, A.C. Slater, let's jump up and down the whole time. I think the greatest part about your music is that tech house aspect that really keeps you moving, and it's not mm-hmm. so jump up and down. And one of the things I always like to talk about, and it's really cool because, you know, same age range here, we've seen the progression with that trap the big room, the dubstep, the rhythm, right? It's all gone up and down. And now everyone's kind of made it into house music because we can't keep jumping up and down anymore. We still love the music and we want to go to yeah. show, but we want to be able to dance. I, I can't do festivals like I used to, man, you know? But I oh, still, for sure. I love the music. So I can do a three-day house festival or a big night at the club and stuff because I'm not walking out of there like drenched in sweat, so weak. I mean, I sound like an old man, but you know what I mean. No, for sure, and it's uh, I'm right there with you with the, on the physical aspect. You know, I, I fucking struggle to make it to four a.m. half the time anymore when I'm out. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's it's also like an attitude and style thing. Um, you know, I I don't dislike heavy bass music now by any means. It just got to the point where ninety percent of the time I'd be at a heavy bass music show, I'd feel like I was getting smashed over the head with the same thing over and over again, and it didn't. Nobody. It, it just became a rarity that you would see DJs and artists that were focused on developing a vibe instead of just playing a set. And, uh, okay. you know, I still have heavy bass artists that I really enjoy who that's their thing. Even like some really good friends of mine, like Wolfbiter from Milwaukee. Yeah. You know, he plays he plays uh, Wakan, Liquid Stranger style trap and dubstep, which generally like I like some of that stuff. It's not particularly my thing. Uh, when I see some of those artists live, I get pretty bored pretty quick. But I can watch this dude play sets nonstop all the time, hour and a half, two hours long. And it's just because he he focuses on making it a mood. He wants to establish a vibe. He's not just hitting you with bangers. He's he's trying to, in the same way a tech house DJ needs to keep your attention for an hour and a half with ups and downs instead of just slamming you. Um, it, it's cool to see other artists and other genres that do that same thing. So it's, uh, yeah, it just kind of became something where, like, I just don't, I want it to be a fun experience experience and an interesting and like captivating one and not just something that feels like uh i don't know i'm not necessarily trying to rage all the time i also want to enjoy music too (laughs) absolutely and i think it's really cool what you mentioned like we didn't want to be like the witch house guys right that just like played trap music we wanted it to be our music and it's clear that's Mm -hmm. important to you and with your music that's unique andrew in my opinion to have that mindset right because a lot of people who start off as djs they just want to get the best music and play the best possible sets. But you guys had that creative mindset, that punk rock. Like, we're going to be different. Fuck you. Right? That's yeah. Like. That's just how it always was for us. And, you know, I have no I have no disrespect to DJs who just want a DJ. I totally get that. I have some friends who are, are arguably some of the best DJs I've ever heard. And they have never touched uh, Ableton or anything in their lives. Right. But it's when, it's when you lose track of that, like that being what you're doing. Like, you'll see people who... 
who won't have made any music and they'll be on the internet complaining about not getting booked for certain things and not getting festival bookings yeah. and it's just like Preach. I, I don't know what you're really trying to get at here uh so it's just to us it always made sense like if i'm going to do this i want it I'm, I'm not i don't want the whole thing to be based around something that's not mine i wanted to have you know, if I'm going to do it, I want my own music involved because it would feel, at least to me personally, it would feel cheap if I did it any other way. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, with this music that's so close to your heart, are there any releases that mean the most to you, regardless of plays and success and notoriety? Um, I mean, as far as our stuff, I was really into 3-6. It, it didn't technically mean a ton to in any way. I just really liked that song. Um, yeah, no. The Hell Yeah EP I did with Cloverdale uh, is really important to me. Um, it was on Country Club Disco, which is awesome, but it just uh, I got, got to be really good friends with those dudes over the course of working on those two songs. Yeah. Um, uh, right before the quarantining and everything kicked in, uh, my last actual gig that wasn't a streaming set was um, uh, flying out to Canada and playing in Halifax with those guys in their hometown. Um, oh, and like hanging out with them for a whole weekend and like doing some studio time and just, you know, they became really good friends of mine because of that EP. So that one meant a lot. And then, uh, you know, I, I think the exterminate EP is really huge for me because it was, um, I think the best representation of how I want the project to sound. Uh, but also it was the first time I put out something that big on my own. Um, yeah, yeah it was, it was my first, uh, uh, Space and Time was my first solo or my first track as like solo tunes, um, but uh, the Exterminate EP was the first time I put out you know a full EP that was all my you know my own original material. So yeah, of those are all kind of big placeholders in in our you know in our time period. And then if we went back into our songs, you know we have like a really old G House song with a guy named Madley who used to be from Chicago. That one uh, I think it's called Champion or something. That one was really fun. Nice. Uh, we have like a, a really old Bixel Boys remix that I still play, even though it's like six years old. Bixel Boys. That's a throwback, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Love the Bixel Boys. How's the guys? Man, jeez. That just yeah, I wish that was still around. It might, it might be. I guess I wish that aspect of Owslow was still around. Yeah, I know. The Owslow. When that Owslow EP came out, the kind of Chris Lake headed, I was like, fuck yes, dude. dude. It was insane. We're going in the right direction. Like, this is it. Mm-hmm. That was quite the time to be alive. Jesus, I remember that. And that, you know what's so funny about that? Chris Lake had been around for a long time. I think I think a lot of people forget that he was on with Boneless with Steve Aoki and Tujamo. And mm-hmm. He's that, got a lot of old stuff from before that that I kind of forget about. It was a little more chill than what he's doing, but yeah, it was like Housla came out and he realized, like, oh, if I make these weird noises with a slightly heavier bass line, it's going to pop off, and then it did. Yeah. Isn't that cool, though? That's that's kind of a similar story to you, like, in one way or another, right? Like, Chris Lake had been doing this for so long, and a lot of people um, that, you know, ask me, what if, like, one of the reasons I love the show is because I get people's full story like yours, right? Your successes, your failures, your journey as an artist. And when I look at someone like Chris Lake, dude, he's one of the biggest artists in the world right now, right? But it didn't happen overnight, and he obviously has been doing it because he loves making music. And there's long... Mm-hmm. And it very rarely does happen overnight. I mean, I know everybody says that, but uh, it really doesn't. And generally, when it does, the, you're not going to see those artists for around much after that year that they were popping off. Yep, exactly, because they put an expiration date on themselves because they released a few good tracks, they go on tour, they didn't focus on the music, and bang, you're back in your city asking for gigs again, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I've seen it a bunch of times. Yeah, man, it is true. 
Um, what, what I want to ask you, as someone who's been focused on the music, right? We're going to talk about DJ here in a sec, but when was there a moment, and even maybe it was like when you released 2018, the Night Base EP, when you saw DJs playing your music, did you have one person that played it and you're like, oh shit, I think we're doing a good job. This is working. Um, I'm sure there might've been occasions back before like the Night Base stuff started, but what really kicked it off, uh, which is like still, I think in one of my like top five memories is, um, I rem remember we put out a bootleg remix of uh that skrillex and abstracts chicken soup yeah um and it was, was like a little a little while after the track was super relevant so it was like the perfect time for it to kind of make a comeback which we got really lucky about yep. and uh I, I don't ac had so ac slater had the tracks for the sick ep but he hadn't agreed to signing them yet uh when we sent that we also sent the chicken soup at it and i remember getting video after video sent to me um the day that he played coachella and his wife of all the songs in his set his wife filmed him playing that song and specifically during the big fake out build-up part and you know it's coachella uh, there's i don't know how many thousands of people yeah. and i just remember sitting like sitting at home and us freaking out about this bootleg that we honestly made as a joke we just thought it was funny yeah um and sure enough, when, after that weekend, AC uh, got a hold of us and ended up signing the tracks for the EP. Um, I don't know if the reaction to our song had anything to do with that, but it, it certainly helped. So that was definitely the Jeez. biggest example of like another artist playing our stuff and us freaking out. And then yeah. that following summer at like Spring Awakening, I remember we were walking around like AC played our played our music again. Uh, we saw Destructo play our music that weekend, which led to me like meeting Destructo when he played the little Corona Dome set. Um, so those were the biggest standouts. You know, we've gotten really lucky to get support from people like Dr. Fresh and and a couple others that we really look up to. But you know, specifically seeing you know AC, who uh, as far as house music goes, is one of my biggest influences for making the change to, to producing house music. Yeah. Uh, getting to see him play our stuff several times and like becoming friends with him because of it's definitely like one of the biggest highlights. Yeah, I got chills hearing that story. Literally, like that's that's crazy. I mean, yeah, no, it was wild stuff, man. Yeah, seriously, gosh, that's awesome, man. I mean, many more to come, of course, once we get back in the swing of things. Um, Andrew, the biggest question I've been asking a lot of people, of course, with coronavirus putting basically the entire music industry on the bench, um, and you maybe as an individual in regards to creativity, you mentioned this has been a big. Uh, maturing year for you, taking care of your mind, and, and really just putting the Tunes Project not on hold, but not at your core focus. Do you think, in regards to other artists, like how are you kind of thinking about the future of the electronic music industry? Like when it relates to producing, touring, networking, everything, has the scope changed entirely? Um, uh, I mean, if at least for myself personally, um. I would like to think that it's not a permanent change. I definitely have picked up on, because I've had time to back away from being at clubs constantly and uh, constantly stressing about getting stuff done at a certain deadline. Um, it's really reminded me just how much, like uh, as far as dance music goes, I need to be in the mindset for it to be organic and for it to work. Because if I have to force it, the, the songs show that and I don't, I don't tend to keep songs that sound forced. So uh, it's definitely been a big uh, time of reassessment for me. Um, I have other 
like another musical project under my name um, called Lurk that I do like I do like trap beats and like rap beats on it, but I also make like like, like cinematic music that would go on like horror movies and things like that. So it's actually given me a lot of time to focus on other projects, and um, it's uh, you, you know I still have several tomb songs that haven't been released, so I still have material ready to go this year. Luckily, since we're not on any sort of touring schedule, I'm not like hard pressed to keep releasing songs the way that we had to normally. Yeah. Um, so for me personally, it's been a lot of reassessment, and you know it's very very important to me. It's never going to not be important to me, but I definitely have accepted that you know. I wasn't making millions off of it before this started, so I'm completely okay, you know, assuming that probably won't be the case when we go back to normal. And yeah. that's been humbling in the sense that it's it's helped me get back to square one about what, what matters to me about the whole project. Um, now, as far as, like, on a general scale, I've been trying to tell other homies, that, like, to uh, think about that, too, because I've definitely had friends who, like, have just been stressing themselves to the bone this whole year, trying to stay relevant, trying to keep tracks coming out that they're not even feeling, trying to make sure they're doing streams as much as possible. And as a business person, I respect the hell out of them for it. But as their friend and someone who cares about mental health, yeah, uh, it's just not healthy. And it's not healthy to for so many people who weren't necessarily making a living off this before to continue to to just like, uh, I don't know, overwork themselves over something that's very much on hiatus right now. So I'd like to think that eventually we'll get back to normal. And I'd like to think that when we do get back to normal, people are going to take what we've learned over these months um, in several ways, not just the dance music, but in general, um, yeah. and come back to it in like a healthier, more focused way. Um, but at the same time, I'm personally prepared for that to take quite a while and you know i think it's really important that a lot of people focus on making sure that the music they're making is is genuine and that they're taking care of themselves first and foremost because i think the best products are going to come out of that and not people you know dealing with anxiety you know societal anxiety and depression and holding up in their houses you know they're not going to be making their best products right now and to feel pressured into doing so is just silly Totally. I mean, how many times does creativity stem from that live experience, whatever it might be, right? But outside with mm -hmm. people at a show. I mean, I remember sometimes I like, I love musicals. You just a oh, little. Same here, dude. I love musicals. <laughs> I love musicals, right? And uh, I love going to them and I would just find random inspiration for whatever reason. Sometimes not even musically related, but I would think about things. And I really miss that. That's what I miss. And that's what I've also realized is. Yeah, I miss shows, of course. I miss DJing and all that stuff. But this has been such a, a great time for me to really look at me and who I want to be without that whole aspect. Because our industry is so, like, as, as a DJ, right, you know the steps you have to take if you want to play Coachella. You work on music. You be unique. You release on big labels. You play bigger shows. You release bigger labels. You just you keep have to keep going up, right? And now that kind yeah. of, like, that scale is different. And I was thinking about, well, who do I want to be as a podcaster if that's kind of out of the way, right? And mm -hmm. for a podcaster or anything outside of DJing, there's not really that, like, you release, you have a show. It's like, okay, yeah, you have bigger artists on and stuff, but how does it grow? What does the end goal look like? And I have never felt better about this show because I love having these conversations, man. Like, only if me and you and my dad, who listens to every show, listens to this episode, right? Like, that's plenty good enough for me. And it's made me just think about things a lot more simply rather than what can I get out of this? It's what am I giving to myself? You know what I mean? Exactly. 
yeah it's it's that's the that's the whole thing like uh you know and it might sound like it's it's coming off as negative it definitely isn't meant to but i've had several t- you know several times over this earlier this year when i was really not in the best place mentally and things were societally super rough not that they aren't now um where i i would just get to the point where like i would be stressing myself out because i couldn't come up with dance music um i couldn't i couldn't even open ableton i was so focused on looking for a job or trying to make sure uh you know my neighborhood was safe like any number of things and um it just finally got to the point where i i had to like kind of break down and be like okay it's not like i was making my living off of dance music before this all started happening I was just so caught up in, you know, it's, you know, it's the stereotypical tale of getting caught up in being so busy in the nightlife, constantly partying, traveling a decent amount, being on deadlines. And by all means, it was fun as hell. I had a lot of fun and I really experienced a lot and learned a lot. But I also learned once all of that stopped, just how little I was paying attention to like my own mental health, my own physical health some of the times, like how many situations I was putting myself in out of social obligation instead of actually wanting to be there. Yep. yep. Um, yep. And it's, uh, it just really reset how much, uh, you know, it, it just really reset how much things meant to me and in what way they meant things, you know, in what way they meant it to me. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I could have done, you know, I could have gone, I kind of got to the point where I realized I could go the route of the guy who is, going to really try to become a social media wizard and i'm going to try to do streams all the time and i'm going to really work the internet and hopefully my music keeps me afloat until things are normal and then i you know i thought about that and on the flip side i was like that that, that's not one that's not my brand to be completely corny about it but it's also not me it wouldn't have worked and i definitely wouldn't have felt good about it um on the other hand i'm completely okay with this not ever being my career it would be great if it was someday but I'm completely okay with it being something I do because I love it. Because as soon as I, like I said earlier in this conversation, as soon as I stop enjoying it, I'm not going to ever do it again properly. Yeah, yeah man. I, I, that's so well said. And um, I appreciate you sharing that stuff because it's something that people don't talk about enough because in such a competitive industry, there are all these mm-hmm. expectations that we're told we have to do. And I think a lot of good things and bad things are coming to the limelight, right? Like cream is rising to the top in terms of artists speaking out about what it's really like at a higher level. Like even the guys who are making millions, right? They're like, they're, they're stressed out and it doesn't yeah, even. Yeah. They're just as stressed. And it really is like the level playing field. Uh, you know, obviously not necessarily in like the financial sense, but when you can see somebody, yeah. uh, you know, not to bring them up again, but like to, when you can see somebody like Chris Lake, who's having just as hard of a time trying to figure his shit out as the guy, you know, uh, in the middle of nowhere, who's just been making house music for fun and happened to land a few shows. Like it's really humbling. And, um, and it's something that I think needs to be talked about more. Like I, I've had several friends this year who have, they've gone down that rabbit hole of, uh, overworking themselves and freaking out because they, they felt like they weren't being productive enough. And, um, and it, it was all a product of, you know, towards the beginning of the year, you see so many of these people who would get on the Internet and be like, if you're not coming out of this quarantine with 15 new songs, then you're a fucking poser. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. no, dude, some people are literally having existential crises right now. Maybe back off a little bit and realize that, like, if if working yourself to the bone and staying as productive as possible is working for you personally, 
by all means, get after it. Like, I, I really appreciate that some people can function like that. But I've also watched really good friends of mine who have, like, come to me and been like, yo, how did you flip this around? Because I'm, like, in a hole now, and I feel terrible to the point where I don't even want to make music anymore. And uh, it's, it's really sad to see that. And a lot of that is a product of people not not talking about it or not wanting to talk about it. Yeah, and, not. you know, maybe in the beginning of the year I could understand that, but we've been at this shit for six, seven months now. So uh, it's kind of something that should be discussed. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And, and that's what I've been trying to talk about as much as I possibly can is, like, the mental health aspect. And I think kind of the, the, the egg cracked with Avicii, right? And um, mm-hmm. better or for worse, a lot of things have come out of it. I mean, making music is a creative process, man. And if you think about some of this shit, like artists that don't get famous until after they die, to me, there's a similar concept there with anything in creativity. You put so much into it, you get nothing in return, and then people, after you're gone or you quit, are like, why'd you stop? Where'd you go? You were great, right? So acknowledging mm-hmm. for the work they're putting in on any level is so important. And I'm right there with you, man. It's, it's a tough time. And I think that's kind of, you know, we talked about before we went on air, it's social media aspect. People are projecting on social media mm-hmm. to be sharing. And that's what's scary about it right now to me is because without any information, people are saying what they think. People are saying what you should and shouldn't do. My, one of my biggest things, Andrew, is practicing what I preach, right? So I don't, I don't have one who doesn't, who doesn't do what I say, not say to do, but you know, I just want to actually be the person that says who I am. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it it's it's definitely uh, been a climate of uh, uh, you know, like you said, projecting instead of sharing. And if when it comes to information in general, we've unfortunately uh, you know we've reached a, a an area where people don't want to have discussion. They just want to be right about whatever it is they said. And yeah. um, that's, I mean, I I don't necessarily want to get into the politics of it because that could be an entire hour th- podcast on its own. But um, when it comes to politics and when it comes to just things ha- happening in the world in general, it ha- doesn't even have to be politically related. Uh, no progress comes out of that sort of thinking, and no no sort of uh, forward motion comes from people demanding that they're right. And we've gotten to the point where people just want to be right. They don't want to share ideas. They don't want to have discussion. They just want to be correct to the point, you know, and that comes back to your point with, you know, in the, in the music industry and things like that. People start, you know, like I said, when people were projecting at the beginning of the year, you know, yep. if you're not making this much over quarantine, yada, yada, it's like, do you really mean that? Or are you just being harsh on yourself? So you yeah. feel a bit like less bad about like needing yep. to be productive or something, you know, and, and I get it to an extent, but when it turns into you being an asshole or, or like completely demeaning somebody who might be having a real hard time um that's when it needs to be reassessed and you need to back up and kind of think about what it is you're doing like how are you benefiting anybody around you and how are you benefiting yourself by by you know speaking like that to other people yeah absolutely and um gosh i'm in i'm in a similar boat too man i i I was like what do i do? do how do i how do i continue to stay creative what do, what do I tell my friends? What do I, I'm asking my friends similar things, right? And we're all kind of asking each other what to do. And I think what we have to do is stop asking what to do. It's like, let's talk about what's going on. And then mm-hmm. solutions might come up. And every Absolutely. Time- and, and, you know, figuring out what you need to do, too, is like, you know, a lot of people, uh, it, you know, I, I, I 
don't necessarily want to say that I agree, but to an extent, I've heard this like joke throughout the year that like this whole experience has been like a, a long, weird acid trip for for literally everybody, not just <laughs> personal people. In the sense that everybody, regard you know, depending on how much they've adhered to um, you know safe practices, I guess, have yeah. been forced to at least for a time hole up with themselves and figure out what they need to do with themselves. And we're seeing on a massive scale just how many people don't have the patience or, I honestly, the willpower to like deal with themselves and they, they need yeah. to be at parties. They need to be doing something. Or now that they can't do any of those things, they need to project on other people. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, I whenever people have come to me to talk about this, the first thing I'll say is, you know, I won't even talk to them about music. I'll be like, hey, when was the last time you just took a day to like read a book or to play that video game that you miss playing or to go for a fucking walk? Yep. Um, and nine times out of 10, the people that are stressed the most realize that they haven't taken any time to themselves. And, you know, I understand staying productive and how that makes people feel good. But also uh, we are in a culture currently that discourages for some weird reason. We discourage this whole idea of taking care of yourself. Um, yeah. unless you're actively looking for information on doing so. And yeah. uh, that's all I've been trying to encourage people is to like, you know, you're not going to be of any productive use to anybody if you haven't figured out how to take care of yourself first. Yeah. Amen. And and that's a, something I always talk about is the oxygen mask rule. When you're on the airplane and the oxygen mask comes down, the mom or whoever has to put it on first so that they can help other people. And I think everybody needs to understand it's as simple as that. You can't go helping others or telling other people until you have your shit taken care of, until you can breathe. And mm -hmm. that's that's the word that needs to be spread is is really helping yourself before you can help others. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I really hope that more people, you know, take the time that we have here to do some of that, because with how scary the world situation is and how stressful the American situation is, I can't imagine waking up every day and having to face all the modern stresses that we're going through without having a firm grasp on my own mental state. Um, you know, I can't imagine being so glued to this idea that I need to have dance music be the end all be all to my personality that like I can feel completely lost right now because that would just be a horrifying thought. So <laughs> hopefully people are taking some time to really, you know, take care of themselves and to make sure they know what they're, what they're trying to go for, especially with how different everything is now. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the plan for the rest of the year for you? Um, so like I said, uh, the tomb stuff, I, you know, I have, I have an EP ready, um, two original songs, uh, one with an old friend of mine from Milwaukee named mind control, uh, another one with Cloverfield or Cloverfield Cloverdale. <laughs> um, uh, so that's going to come out sometime. I'm still kind of trying to figure out labels possibly for it. Um, I have a remix for CLB that I did earlier in the summer. Um, I'll probably be self-releasing that sometime soon. Um, and then, yeah, I, I have a couple. I'm actually making more drum and bass currently, so yeah. I might have a couple drum and bass songs coming out. Um, and then, yeah, I've been, honestly, I've been working a lot on my side project. I have like a a full-length album coming out as of, of like horror movie music um, yeah. under my side project. So that's something I'm looking forward to. That'll be out sometime in October. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to get back on the horse and making music. You're finally back into like a normal routine of like working a day job after having super uncertain first half of the year. Um, so 
I'm hoping once the routine gets in, some more music will start coming in, start doing some more streams, getting some more studio time in with people like Steve Gerard and Ose. Um, yeah, just trying to get back on a routine and get music coming out on a regular basis, but you know, making sure that when that does happen, it's it's uh, you know, it's on, it's in the right way. I love that, man. If you guys go to the music garage and hang out with Steve, let me know. I'd love to come hang out and see you guys. Well, oh, I definitely will. I, I swear I'm invited every, every single week, and half the time I just don't even see the text. So it'll <laughs> definitely happen. I know, man. And if you go there with Steve, you're not going. You're not leaving for 12 hours. So you got to get that mentally ready, right? <laughs> that is absolutely true. It's a whole it's a whole undertaking if I'm meeting him there. Oh, man. Well, Andrew, this has been such a pleasure. I want to thank you again and acknowledge you again for all your hard work and success as a producer. And thank you for sharing um, you know, some, some of these deeper things you've been going through because it's really important that we t- all tell our story so that people can relate. Even if it's one person that you made a difference for or feel like they can relate, that's what it's all about, man. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate you having me, and I really appreciate you asking questions like that because, uh, well, one, boring generic interviews are the worst. <laughs> and two, uh, it, it's important. It's it's we don't have like you know other than using our twitters to try to share information. You know we only have so much reach. And if you're somebody who's like not necessarily glued to social media, you can only invest so much time into sharing ideas that way. Um, yeah. So I really appreciate you asking questions about real shit that does need to be talked about. And I hope more people feel encouraged to be open about that that sort of thing because. Uh, it's no secret that mental health is something that really needs to be focused on as a, you know, as a species, but especially in the dance music scene. And it's definitely something that I think we all need to come out of this more aware of. And, and, you know, if we want to get back to partying and having as good a time as we were before, we're only going to benefit from, you know, by doing so as better people. Absolutely, man. I think the scene's going to come back bigger and better and more passionate than ever. And I, I'm right there with you. I'll be front row as soon as I can too, bro. Me and my brother. All right. Hell yes. I I can't wait. Awesome, man. We have a good one. Thank you again. You too, buddy. Take care. Thank you so much. Easy, Andrew.